0: so dave you know what a drobo is yes it's like uh it's one of these you know kind of storage appliances and the the gimmick is that you can uh pull out a hard drive while it's running and everything will still work right yeah it's Uh, like
1: it's like better than raid
0: yeah yeah exactly it's it's uh it's like raid five but kind of easier to use and kind of plug and play
1: right and different size drives right? yeah
0: different size drives that's right exactly uh really clever machine and I've been using one for the last five years maybe six years yeah. to kind of store all my music and my backups and of my laptops and things like that so remember how I was having this uh, d r m problem with my uh with my laptop mm-hmm mm-hmm Uh, so they're going to give me a replacement laptop uh, so that I can once again be enslaved by the uh, Apple ecosystem. And uh, the day I got the phone call from them saying, hey, the new computer's in, come and pick it up. I said, okay, great, let me just go make my backup real quick and then I'll go make the exchange. Um, You will not be surprised to learn that that is the precise moment when the wheels came off of my Drobo. Um, Yeah, the whole thing thing fell apart. Uh, So I had to rush out, buy... Two more terabytes of storage and, um, begin the process of rebuilding the file system and then copying all the stuff over. It's just, uh, I was unbelievably frustrated dealing with all this last night, but then I realized that I actually don't have this problem anywhere near as often as I did as I have in the past, right back when I was in college. Um, and when I was right out of college, I remember having hard drive failures on like a fairly regular basis, um, having to go through this exercise, you know, with some frequency, but it has literally been years since I've had a failure like this. Um, wow. I don't know. So do you have any backup strategies, any hints? Cause I'm now in the market for a new backup strategy.
1: <laughs> yeah. Well, for, it, I think it all depends upon how much data you need to back up. Um, mm-hmm. like in my case, uh, like we were saying in, um, the previous episodes, it's like, I don't have movies of, right. I don't have like, like entire series of movies and things like that. I, you know, I stream it all. And so like, I just do Dropbox for everything. And, Mm -hmm. and so, you know, and I set up a directory, it replicates everywhere and, um, you know, everything pretty much fits under the hundred gigabytes and, and it works pretty well.
0: Yeah. See, I would be, if I didn't have Dropbox, I would be apoplectic right now um, because Mm -hmm. uh, in fact, Dropbox is so reliable for me and furnishes uh, a kind of redundancy as well. Right. Because all of the computers that I have all sync to the same Dropbox account. And so even if one of the computers fails, all the other computers still have a copy, right? So even Dropbox could yep. go out of business tomorrow and I have this kind of accidental redundancy, right? Which is, yes. which is nice. Um also pro tip uh on the uh on the issue of backups. Um uh, I told my backup system to ignore um both uh the Dropbox directory and my mm-hmm. mail directory knowing that uh, mm. I can always go back and fetch my mail and that saved me you know something on the order of like 250 gigabytes worth of space right oh, uh, nice. between between all my mail accounts and stuff so anyway, that 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 is the only lesson learned here um, yeah. <laughs> uh, but well,
1: that, that's what like for me I do like right now I, I still will buy a CD and I'll rip it mm-hmm. and and then I'll it'll Store in Dropbox, but it will also go up to Google Play Music. So I actually have two cloud backups. So I guess if I if I need to, I could probably get rid of having it, you know, that backed up by Dropbox. If I wanted to count on Google Play keeping that copy. Right,
0: right. You haven't hit and, the and Google Play out... limit yet. Nope. See, I nope. hit that. I hit that limit almost right. I got. I I have something like sixty thousand songs um, wow. in my library. Yeah. Uh, that's what, that's what happens when you have a bunch of roommates, uh, in your early twenties is <laughs> we, we, uh, we, we pooled our, our, our music collections, uh, and then all, all took it home, uh, once we moved on to other houses. So mm-hmm. I have, uh, kind of, I probably got like six or seven people's individual music collections that just ended up on my hard drive, uh, over time. Um, yeah. stay, stay so, cool, yeah, RIA. If... <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. They're,
1: yeah. But I, I have like maybe 3,000 songs or something, but mm-hmm. I, I'm the type of person that would listen to the same band over and over again and just, you know, things that you really like that as opposed to the flavor of the month or whatever that you listen to it and maybe never listen to it again. Right. Um, I'm, I'm very different from with, with music, I will buy it and I want to keep it unlike like movies or books where it's like I will want to watch it once or twice or read it once or twice, but i'd rather you know keep it in you know a public library and if i need it i have it you know mm-hmm. sure sure yeah sure
0: anyway that's that's what's going on with me right now i'm i'm watching uh i'm watching a drive being rebuilt as we're doing the show nice yeah nice. what's up with you
1: so um we talked about this before it was uh star trek continues you, mm-hmm. you can remember what that is um sure so that's that's the remake of of star trek with um uh, like it has, and this is like it's meant to look like the 1960s version of Star Trek. Mm-hmm. Um, and it has like Grant Imahara from Mythbusters as Mr. Sulu and all that. It's awesome. It has um, like James Doohan's son plays Scotty. Um, really cool. So that they finally came out with a second episode uh, called uh, Lolani. So I don't know if you remember um, the. The green woman from uh, Star Trek that runs around dancing and all that, and oh yes, um, yes,
0: seduces Captain Kirk. Yes, that's right. Skying the captain. I remember this. Yes.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah. So there's there's uh, one of those ladies, uh, Lulani, uh stars on this episode, and I'll tell you what. I mean, you you start watching it, and the, your first reaction is that guy doesn't look like Captain Kirk, or I mean, look like uh, William Shatner, and and you're like, you spend more time focusing on the differences, but as you sort of get into it like i i like fell into like my happy place this euphoric sort of like oh i'm watching old star trek again and and it almost you know these characters the the actors like blur into the old you know it's like it, they eventually like become captain kirk or spock or whatever mm-hmm. just by the way they act and everything it's and it's just really it was really cool I it's like uh Lauren and I were watching it and we, we just thought it was just like watching the old episodes. So I hope they come out with more of them. It's just wonderful. Oh, that's great. That's very cool. Um, yeah. And it's on YouTube. Um, so you could pick it up oh, you nice. could stream it from your uh, Chromecast or from your Roku three, which yeah. we'll talk about.
0: Yes, that's right. That's right. We are coming to that. Um, and, uh, oh, if speaking of YouTube, I got a, um, you know, Delta, uh, yeah. published all their, you know, public safety videos up on YouTube. Um, yeah. so if you're a huge fan of, uh, of, uh, like that redheaded woman, um, with the, uh, uh no with yeah. the no smoking, you know, joke on the, uh, uh, I love it. Anyway, you can go check out that video, but they also have a blooper reel, um, mm-hmm. which is very funny, um, and, and actually worth a number of viewings because you'll catch, a bunch of site gags um that they introduce. Anyway, just it's great that they're that they get really clever about it. Um and when you watch the video, be on the lookout for uh, Twilight Dude. Um because yes. Twilight Dude's my favorite.
1: Nice. Anyway.
0: All right, so what, what what have we got on the show? We're gonna talk about Chromecast for sure. Um yeah. and and media players. Uh, what what else? Backups? Um yeah. oh Amazon GovCloud. We made that big announcement. Yeah. So that'll be that'll be good. Um, and then JBoss had actually t- two, three product releases this week, um, yes. which we should definitely cover. Um, and then you've got at least a page and a half on Gilligan's Island.
1: Right, right, exactly. Yeah, I've been doing some research. Nice, nice. Yep. And, and so if people detected a theme in all those topics, if they want to let us know. Because um, <laughs>
0: the- <laughs> we're still shopping for a theme for the show. <laughs>
1: Yeah, yeah. So if, if they want to uh, tell us what that theme is, where, where should they tell us? Oh, they should or, definitely go to. should they go to tell us?
0: Yeah. Mm-hmm, sure, they can go to uh, oh dgshow.org. Uh, so that's mm-hmm. D as in Dave, G as in Gunner, show.org. Nice. And uh, on dgshow.org, you will also find the Cutting Room floor. Um, and what, what's, on the, what's on the floor this week, Dave?
1: Yeah, so we've got uh, fake inspection stickers. We have uh, fake chefs. We have fake academic papers, uh, fake languages, and a taser-proof suit.
0: I really like the taser-proof suit. Although I'm, I'm hard pressed to come up with a practical. I, here's, here's the thing, Dave. I want a life that requires a taser-proof suit. Cause yes. That, that makes me because that's pretty macho, right? That's that's pretty right. cool. Um, but I can't remember the last time I was tased by a customer, uh, or the last time I was tased at a conference or something like that. I don't know. Have you mm-hmm. ever been? Have you ever been tased? You're not
1: trying hard enough. <laughs>
0: And I don't no, work for Oracle.
1: <laughs> <laughs> exactly. <laughs> yeah. But you don't, like, I, I could, how would you get, like, what, how would the TSA guys react wearing a taser-proof suit through the
0: uh, little scanner or something?
1: Well, it's, it's, I Form, guess it's just made of carbon
0: that there's no way they would know, right? Until it's too late.
1: Right. Yeah, yeah. They try to tase you and you just laugh at them. <laughs> that's right. What they need is a, a taser-proof, stab-proof suit Mm-hmm. That's mm-hmm. that's bulletproof. Yeah. You'll live forever.
0: Speaking of the TSA, what's the latest in Frequent Flyer news, Dave? Yeah, well,
1: and also speaking of Delta, um mm-hmm. they are changing their sky, sky miles. um instead of it being based upon the distance of the flight, it's now it's going to be based on the price of the ticket.
0: Which is a, that's a war crime. You uh, think so? Oh yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah. No, that's terrible. That's terrible. Well, I mean it's, it's certainly not good for the for the consumer.
1: Well, I guess I guess you could fly. Uh, it, you could be stuck on a cheaper flight with more segments, and you don't get ahead. Correct. Right. And, and you're yeah. flying all over the place. Right.
0: Um, mm-hmm. It also means that uh, you're punished for taking advantage of discounts. Right. Yes. Um, and no matter how much the flight costs, you're still going through the same kind of physical and emotional and spiritual suffering. Yes. Um, which is what I feel like those frequent flyer miles represent. Right. That's uh, those rep- those represent hours and minutes off of my life um and that's what i'm being compensated for not the amount of money i spent with them and i mean once you move to a purely price-based system for frequent flyer miles um then you might as well just sell the frequent flyer miles right
1: yeah well that isn't southwest doing that i don't know i thought theirs was based on ticket costs as well
0: uh no they do by number of segments or number of flights okay um so that you get whatever 10 flights gets you a free flight I think that's how it works. Um, I don't fly them, so I don't know. But
1: yeah, or maybe you buy a certain class of ticket and you get more points or whatever per, you because know, you bought up or something.
0: Yeah, yeah, but but it's but it's still based on um, what am I trying to say? It's, it's like hit points. It's like a, a experience yeah. points in D and D, right? It's you know, yeah. it's, you went yeah. you you flew from Boston to New York, and so you earned this much experience, which can then be redeemed yes. for charisma, dexterity, and so forth.
1: Well, in my case, I, I might come out ahead if, if you know, U.S. Airways are there, you know, if they pick that up because I don't fly as far as, you know, like I am I rarely go coast to coast. It's, a lot of times it's just Akron to D.C.
0: Mm-hmm. Um,
1: and it's not a ton of miles, but it's just not as, you know, to drive it would just be excruciating. Right. Um, and whereas it would be like a 50-minute flight. So I, I take like a lot of 50-minute flights. Um But yeah, but in some ways, too, is it's also reminds me a lot of the way hotels do it. Like, you know, they base their points on the amount of spend you do, too.
0: Uh, Although roughly it's not as if you spend, you know, 199 on a hotel room and you get 199 points. Right. It's still if I go to like an average Marriott, say, I'll, I'll make the Marriott stay and then they'll give me whatever it is, 250 points a night or something like that. Right. Mm-hmm. I guess what I'm saying is not really one to one. Their point system still roughly equates to, you know, a certain amount for a certain length of stay.
1: Yes. Oh, that's true. That's true. So if you stay five nights, you get five x of points. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. That that makes sense. It's it's sort of maybe a blend of both. So if you go super cheap, you still don't get ahead if you stay a, a large number of nights. But still, you're it's proportional to the amount of time you're away from home.
0: Right. Right. Although, and. But I guess to rewind back to the original point, I mean, if Delta is making this change um, that rewards people for spending more money with Delta in like fixed dollar amounts, um, then Mm -hmm. it is almost certainly better for Delta, right? They're not going to make this change to make the frequent flyer program more attractive. I wouldn't think.
1: Yes. Unless they wanted to lure people. I don't know.
0: Yeah, I don't know. I don't know. Yeah. Anyway, so oh, speaking of lock-in, uh, you heard the news about the Keurig uh, yep. pellets or what do you call those? The cartridges for the the, the coffee yeah, ones? it's a
1: little astronaut coffee cup K cup
0: thing. Mm-hmm. Yeah, oh the K cup, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah, apparently they're going to put DRM on the uh, on the on the cartridges now. Yeah. Um, what a terrible idea.
1: Yeah, so you couldn't use. It's sort of like I guess inkjet. You know, um, you know uh, how you could get like refurbished or or off brand um but here they're going to put drm on the actual cup so you you can't use them so right. it's like if you if you wanted to watch game of thrones on your laptop um and drink coffee it's like you you'd be like double out of luck
0: <laughs> that's right that's right <laughs> exactly i just i don't understand the argument for that, I mean, at least in the case of movies um, and TV, you can make a flawed, but at least like credible argument that like, this is how we ensure that the makers of the thing are going to get paid, right? Because it's digital mm-hmm. and can do, you know, we can have an infinite number of perfect copies and we need to protect against that. Um, I, I understand that argument as misguided as it is. Um, not so in the case of coffee, <laughs> which is a physical right. good, which is like, it already has... Uh, it already has scarcity, right? You don't need to introduce more scarcity to it.
1: Yeah, it, it's it's almost like the razor blade and razor sort of thing where they want to give away the cheap coffee maker maybe or make that almost free. But in order for them to do that, they, have, they want to make up for it by selling you coffee and make sure you can only buy their coffee. Um, I don't know how razors work. If you could get like third-party blades for particular things or if that matters, I don't know. I do yeah. an electric razor.
0: When, and can't you and can't you use patents and things to actually protect that stuff anyway um, like why didn't Craig yeah. patent the design of their cartridge um, I presume they could have figured out a way to do that and then they could actually don't have to do this kind of hostile DRM thing um, they can actually like sue people in court if uh, yeah. if they come up with a computer thing I don't know that it's a weird play it's like it doesn't make any sense it's and it especially because DRM I mean one of the worst things about DRM is kind of the the presumption of bad intent on the part of your own customers, right? That's what's so offensive about it. Um, right. and so like I get insulted by the MPAA and the RIA enough. I don't need my coffee company telling me that I'm a, I'm a, th- I'm a thief as well. Right.
1: Yeah. It's a coffee protection association of America. Or something. <laughs> right. Right.
0: Yeah. Terrible. Um, Oh, speaking of lock-in, uh, car play. I saw the, I saw the I saw the mention of CarPlay as a thing Mm -hmm. and I can kind of intuit maybe what it is, but, but, uh, but you found the link. What, this Mm -hmm. is the new Apple Apple's taking AirPlay and putting it into cars. Is that, uh,
1: well, it looks like, like I saw a video of it, I'll put it in the show notes, but it it looks like basically an iPad fused into, uh, like inside the dashboard of a car. Um, and in some ways it kind of reminds me of maybe, you know, maybe it's more like, you know how you have like the android watches where the watch really isn't a standalone device and you need a android device to tell it what to do that mm-hmm. you would pair with and it's mm-hmm. almost like a user interface right that would talk to your device without having to pull the device out of your pocket um but it was um kind of looks like that but you know i it, it, when you watch there's a video that uh cnbc video um And then, you know, they're doing the analysis of it and it's like, hey, it's coming to a Volvo uh, near you. And uh, I'm sure they're starting off with the luxury brands to sort of set the bar of like it being like a hoity-toity, you know, fancy pants sort of thing. Um, But um, one of the things that the video said was that, oh, but will Apple allow Google Maps on CarPlay? Um, And like, you know how that goes, like where it's like, (laughs) you know, and, and to me it's like, whenever they said allow it's like oh my gosh that's horrible it's yeah. like i you know uh, who who's deciding who will allow what and um and i what i want to know is you know will it work with an android device yeah. and whereas at least with the android devices you could they they you know like i can get uh google apps on and or on ios devices and you know like uh, presumably your your iphone can talk to your chromecast um and there's you know there's some sort of integration there um but um I, I can't imagine that going the other way and you know to me, what I would rather see is a uh like a standard form factor for like tablets where it's it's basically like a like you just plug in your tablet and and it's always the same size and i could I could pull that
0: out like a like tires right yeah.
1: Yeah, mm-hmm. and it's like, oh, and you have a choice of different tires, different brands, different vendors, um, and it's like some sort of, like, API sort of access, um, but I, I just can't, like, imagine how, like, if you would, like, people may want to buy, like, a 65 Mustang, but do you really want to have, like, CarPlay from 1965, and what would it connect <laughs> to? It's like a Univac, you know, and and... <laughs> You know, and, and so it's like coming up with a figure, figuring out a way to have, um, where the, where the interface boundary would be like what, like to me, it's like, it's the car is an IO device, right. but the brains should be separate and you should be able to update the brains. You know, it's like, I want to keep my, my keyboard and my mouse, but I want to upgrade my computer whenever I want. I don't want to have to buy a new keyboard and mouse every time I buy a new computer.
0: Right, right. Well, I mean, I guess for when I think about it, I don't think about the CarPlay as some, I don't think it's uh, nefarious or any more nefarious than any of the current onboard systems, right? Because, you know, the Ford stuff or whatever's in the, you know, BMWs or everything, like all that stuff is proprietary anyway. So it's not like we're losing ground in any meaningful way, right? By introducing another kind of closed ecosystem. Um, I mean, for a lot of these things, you can't even you know, there's not even apps available. It's just kind of yeah. whatever computer you got. That's the one you the car is going to you know, die with. Um, mm-hmm. So I guess that part's okay. I, I, but I do like the idea of disentangling, like you say, the IO from the actual brains. And I don't remember who it was. Maybe it was sun had this notion of um, your phone being the brain. Um, or I guess as it's canonical talks about this idea too, right? The, the phone is basically the brain and you, that is your laptop and your phone and your tablet. And it just, whatever form factor you've plugged it into, like whatever, mm-hmm. whatever chassis you plug it into, that's, that's the role that it serves. Um, yeah.
1: Motorola did that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, They,
0: yeah, they, they had, had right, a phone right. that
1: would like plug into a
0: laptop docking station. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Um, I, 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 like that idea. At least I think I like that idea. Um, yeah. in principle. Yeah. I, don't know i'm trying to figure out what apple would bring to the car interface experience that we are lacking yeah
1: but then what happens if you buy a volvo and it has all this ios integration and it doesn't work on the android so that means that oh now i got to get rid of my android phone and i gotta and then you're sort of for as long as you own that car you are having to live the ios lifestyle right compared to the 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 way things are now, which like sort of Bluetooth is the common mm-hmm. interface, which may not be the best, uh, but at least you could, um, you know, do audio through it and, uh, you know, two ways. Um, but you could do, you have your choice of devices.
0: Yeah. I can't, I can't imagine that just doesn't make any sense. So, and, and you mentioned Chromecast, the Chromecast does, I just got one like a week ago, um, and I think Chromecast is actually tied to the Android platform. I don't know the, that I could be wrong, but I don't think you mm. can use iOS apps to manipulate a Chromecast. Um, mm. Although the Chromecast, interestingly, actually draws you know that kind of line of demarcation we're talking about with the, mm-hmm. the IO living somewhere and then the brain being somewhere else. Um, mm-hmm. The Chromecast is functionally like an Apple TV or like a Roku. But yes. the, the one thing that's different about it is that um, it is fetching... The media stream on your behalf. And so when you're manipulating it on your phone, um, all you're doing is sending it instructions. Um, So there's no remote for it, right? Um, And so when I open up Netflix on my phone or on a tablet, I get a little icon in the upper right hand corner that tells me that I can basically perform this operation on Chromecast instead. Um, And so it's up to each individual app to support uh, to support the Chromecast, um, which is different than the, how Apple TV does it, where it's just kind of, everything is baked into the operating system. Um, yes, it's clever. Um, and it's certainly cool to have all that power inside this tiny little HDMI dongle. Um, Mm -hmm. but anyway, but I, I mentioned it because it, uh, Uh, again it kind of redraws the line of like where the brains are right um and what chromecast does is actually the opposite of what we're talking about it puts all the brains up in a google server somewhere um yes and and, or and not on the actual uh, physical device uh, that i purchased so which is a very google way of solving the problem Mm
1: -hmm. yeah yeah one other thing going back to the uh uh the carplay interface is it it doesn't have affordance. Um, and, and going back from our, Mm -hmm. um, uh, thing that we were talking about before, it's like, you actually have to be looking at the screen to be able to see what you want to touch or do and all that, which eh, not a fan of. Yeah. Yeah. Right.
0: Um, so would, would you, I was thinking about this, um, earlier, uh, after we talked about it on the, on the, about affordance on the last show. Um, and then I heard a I guess it was a radio show talking about some of the new safety features that use things like uh, cameras facing that are inside the car facing Mm. the driver and are watching the driver's behavior and changing the car uh, and basically navigating the car based on the driver's behavior. So as an example, um, if the car senses that it is coming too close to the car in front of it and it sees that the driver's eyes are not facing forward, um, Mm -hmm. it will override Whatever instructions the driver gives. So even if mm. you press on the accelerator, if you're looking away, the car will override and say, basically, you're incompetent for now, um, and I'm yes. going to slow the car, and I'm going to slow the car down.
1: Yeah. You, hey, there's an object in front of you. I'm not going to let you do that. That's kind of cool.
0: Yeah, it is. It is pretty cool. But it got me thinking about this idea of affordance, and I'm trying to think like what the ideal interface would be. Um, and I guess it would be like voice activated and a heads up display. Is that mm-hmm. is that kind of what you're thinking?
1: Yeah, I want to keep my hands on the wheel um, mm-hmm.
0: as much as possible.
1: Like, I, I love having the controls on the wheel for the radio and the phone and, right. and all that. Um, you know, it's like one of the things, like whenever you get a rental car, um, and with one of things I found out is like with Ford Sync is that, and maybe, maybe people can tell me if I'm wrong, but I don't think there's a way to mute um, from the dashboard. You can't mute the, uh, your microphone. You actually have to do it in the phone, or you got to navigate through the Ford Sync menu system, which is horrible. Whereas uh, in my car, I just have a, a mute button right on the right on the radio, and I could just hit that, and it it mutes my mic.
0: You're right, mm-hmm. and you know what? And I'm glad you brought up the Ford Sync interface because that thing is a war crime. Um, it yes. is completely impossible. Uh, it's every time I, you know, I've rented as many car rental cars as as you have and probably get as many forwards as you do. And every time I get into a forward vehicle, it's like, I have to relearn that interface. Um, yep. it is so hostile. Um, yes, it's, uh, it's awful. It's terrible. Yep. All right. I'm going to write a letter.
1: Yep. Wait until it's Q and X.
0: That's right. That's right. It will be, yep. and, uh, maybe they'll, maybe, maybe Q and X will, will give them the uh, excuse they need to, uh, make their interface usable. Although I yeah. doubt it. I doubt it. Um, Speaking of useful. Speaking of useful, the CIO of the federal government, uh, has this website out about cloud and they must've taken a page from the UK digital government service because the page is good looking, easy to navigate Mm -hmm. and perfectly clear. Um, Mm -hmm. and it's nice. It actually caters to the, the audiences. Um, so, you go in there and it says, oh, if you're an agency that wants to use cloud services, you know, here's a big button for you to click. Um, if you are a vendor who wants to make cloud services available to a government, click here. Um, it walks you through kind of all the policies, all the regulations, all the things you need to think about, um, uh, lets you kind of discover what services uh, are available to you. It's really well done. It's, a, it's at a cloud.cio.gov. And, well, of course, we'll stick a link in the show notes. But um, I was really impressed. I was very impressed. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's a good.
1: Yeah, it reminded me of uh, one of those infographics that is Mm -hmm. you know just really long image that you scroll through and see all the factoids and stuff. Remind me of that.
0: Yeah, yeah. Um, Yeah. I'm really liking this trend of usable government websites. Um, It seems like agencies have finally, you know, uh, acquired a sense of shame uh, about how difficult (laughs) websites are to navigate sometimes, Um, and they really are making a deliberate effort to improve them. Um, And this is a great example. Um, Yeah
1: speaking of more useful things um yeah. there was this was something we've had in there for a while is uh but didn't have a chance to talk about it but uh, google drive uh, their app got updated with a quick scan widget um that um it pretty much it has similar functionality to the cam scanner so it's like like you know you and i use cam scanner for taking pictures of receipts which and you know you take a picture of something it'll do the color correction it'll do the cropping um Lauren will even do that yeah, between her and myself. Like if she has a geometry problem she's having trouble doing, she'll take a picture of her book um, and say, oh, it's problem number nine, and, and it'll crop it, and she'll email the PDF to me, and then it's like I'll do the problem, and then I'll, I'll take a picture of the piece of paper, and I'll send that back to her um, oh, when yeah. I'm traveling.
0: Oh, that's, yeah. cool. that's clever. The, um, uh, I used CamScanner when I was closing on my house. Um, and oh, kind right. of shipping signature documents back and forth. Um, the, the, ability to kind of, to use my phone to take a you know, perfectly adequate uh, photo, which then turned into a PDF and send it off to the mortgage broker or whatever. That was fantastic. Um,
1: oh, that's uh, nice. Yeah. yeah Cause really it's good. funny. There are a lot of old school people that it's like, oh my gosh, no, you, you can't take a picture of a document or you can't be a photocopy, but it can be a fax. Right. Right. And I, then I would ask them, it's like, is it okay if I fax you a photocopy? And it just, like, blows your <laughs> mind, you know? And it's... But the thing with the Google Drive app, I, I haven't played with it a whole lot, um, but it is incredibly fast. And it doesn't really give you the choice of white, you know, white balance and uh, cropping. It just magically does it, and it's extremely fast, and it sticks it into Google Drive, like, right away. Hmm. Um, but, yeah, it's kind of neat. Oh, that is clever. But it's not like that stuff can be tracked or anything yeah except except it totally can
0: be tracked that's and that's probably one of the reasons why i wouldn't use it right is the um, google knows plenty about me with me without me also handing them um all these uh you know all these documents um, signature signature (laughs) (laughs) um Well, so, you know, what a lot of people don't realize is, uh, how many of their photos have, uh, GPS data embedded in them, right? If you took a photo with your phone, Mm -hmm. um, the Latin long is usually in that photo. And so when you upload it to whatever, Google drive or Dropbox, um, that location data, um, will betray where you were. And some people may not care about that, but if, you know, you're a fugitive, um, you're, that's probably a bad idea. You probably want to uh, turn off that, uh, part of your phone.
1: Yes. Yeah, it could track your location data. And did did you see that video from the ACLU that they came out with a little while ago? Oh, no. Yeah, it's it's a little short video, cartoony sort of thing, like a public service announcement. It's like, I don't know, three minutes. But it shows how um, the government can uh, use your location data and, and potentially abuse it. And it's, it was kind of neat where if you think about um, – it's not just tracking what I thought was neat about it was it, it's not just tracking you and the location data associated with your phone. And, you know, and we've talked about this in, in previous episodes where, you know, Google, you can go and you could see your entire location history. Um, but what they actually do is they talk about, well, what if this person's part of a criminal ring and they are, um, you know, so they can look at their person's friends and then do correlations to see who was in the same place at the same time like you know some clandestine meeting or or stuff like that um... or you know there were other things that they talked about where it's like oh well you know this guy was you know he left the bar and you know he's he's driving well below the speed limit so he must be intoxicated um... and right. and using that as evidence and and everything. so it's it pretty interesting of, of ways that you know that data even though it provides a convenience could be used against you in a court of law literally
0: that's good that's good. I like the, I like that they spent the time to do that because that is a really hard thing to describe to people. Um, yeah, uh, the, you know, it's a, the, the word metadata seems so innocuous until you realize just how powerful that stuff can be. Um, yes, that's great. Excellent. Um, yeah. oh, see in, uh, and, in, in other, regulatory news um the the fcc came down on tv companies for sending out fake uh emergency broadcast system yes yeah yeah
1: yeah so i saw this (laughs) article and i'm like like don't they have anything better to do you know it's like (laughs) and and but the funny thing was like i actually so it was it was for the trailer for uh olympus has fallen and but you know it's like I thought it was like oh well you're watching a TV show and it's like the like in the TV show it's the emergency broadcast system and you know you hear what's going on but it was actually a full-blown commercial that it was pretty much the emergency broadcast the the, the tones and this is not a drill and everything and then you see fighter planes flying by and then it goes back to the emergency alert voice and all that and it was it was surprisingly very I, you know, it's it was very close to, like, a real emergency alert thing. And I could see, too, that it's like, oh, if you did that once in a month or something like that in, like, a movie or something, it's no big deal. But if you're playing that commercial, like, maybe once an hour or, like, all over the place, you know, I think their worry is that people will get desensitized and not take the warning seriously if all of a sudden people play it.
0: Right. Well, I mean, if the FCC really cared about the health and well-being of the United States, they would have uh, lev- levied fines on them for broadcasting Olympus Has Fallen because that movie was terrible. Yeah, it, so yeah, it does seem like a frivolous fine. And it was like $2 million, right? Um, yep. it, it seems frivolous on the face of it, but yeah, if you think about, um, they, want to, they, wa- they want to preserve that noise as like something sacred and it should immediately put, make the hair on the back of your neck stand up. Um, and if you yes. were listening to it 12 times a day, then it won't do that anymore. So I guess that 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 part does make sense um but it's like war of the worlds right yep
1: yep yeah i yeah that's what i i i saw that article and i was having flashbacks to our conversation about war of the worlds and people running out of churches screaming and all that you know people see this commercial and it's like oh my gosh (laughs) you know um that's yeah it made me i chuckled when i thought about that so and then um I saw. Was it Rochester Institute of Technology? Mm-hmm. Yeah, my dad's home city of Rochester. Yeah, yeah, home of Dinosaur Barbecue, which is awesome. Or not, well, it's actually they have one there, but the home is in Syracuse. But um, yeah, they they have uh, they teamed up with Red Hat, and they're working on getting a minor in was it open source and open culture?
0: Yeah, uh, open source and free culture. That's it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Nice. Um, yeah, which is really great. Like to actually, you, you can actually get a minor in that. Um, yeah, that's kind of, that's kind of exciting. Uh-huh. you know, so, so much of opens, you know, in open source communities and for that matter, you know, these kind of free culture advocacy communities, um, everyone is basically self taught, right? More or less. Um, yes. you might come to, you might come to that community with a certain set of technical skills, but a lot of it is kind of trial and error or apprenticeship is how you come to it. Mm-hmm. Um, now, Dave, if you were if you were hiring someone and they came to you with a minor in open source and free culture, would that make them more attractive to you as a candidate, or would it make them less attractive to you because you're like, why did you have to go to school for this? Why didn't you learn it? You know, why didn't you learn it yeah. in school of hard knocks like the rest of us?
1: Yeah, and and is it the means to an end or, yeah, and or is it the the other part of it is, is it sort of like to get a computer science degree, you have to have a minor in math, but right. 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 Maybe it's a similar sort of thing. I don't know. You know what I mean by that?
0: I do. I do. Like it's a, um, uh, it's not so much a, uh, it's not the final step in the education process, but it's a, it's an endorsement. Is that what you mean? Yeah. Mm
1: -hmm. Yeah. And it's like, well, you kind of need to know math to do computer science. Well, right. And yeah. And, but still having a minor in, math with a computer science degree, it's like, you might as well, because you you do take a lot of math whenever you get a computer science degree. So it, you know, I can imagine somebody, you know, would, would it be a major, um, or, you know, having a major in free culture, I don't know as much. Um, but I can imagine somebody taking a class or two in open source at a minimum would be really compelling, um, to understand what that's all about.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Well, and I think the, the headline for me is that, uh, it was RIT that did it and not like Bard. <laughs> you know, like mm-hmm. I can imagine somebody graduating from, uh, from, you know, some crazy small, uh, Northeastern liberal arts college, you know, walking out there with a degree in, uh, you know, open source free culture and peaceful change. Um, but you know, RIT is like a, for real, you know, rigorous engineering school, engineering school yeah. right? Yeah. 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 Oh, that's great. Yeah. Well, good for yeah. them. Yeah. Good for them. Uh, so Dave, are you getting excited for summit?
1: Yes, yes. And I, I uh, enjoyed doing the uh, podcast uh, last time with uh, Langdon and uh, Langdon White and, and Ray Plosky um, yeah. talking about the summit and Dev Nation. So that's that's coming up.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Those guys were great. Um, and, you know, it's one thing well, I walked away from that interview. One of the things that really struck me was uh, how much time and effort we're spending on stuff that we're not selling. Um, so, you know, a lot of this work on arrow gear and vertex and the live Oak stuff. Um, those are all like really exciting projects. And, uh, it really shows how red Hat's product managers and the engineering group are really kind of skating to where the puck is going to be, um, rather than just kind of following the communities wherever they might wander. Um, I thought that was pretty cool. That was really cool.
1: Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. And then, um, yeah, the registration link is up for the uh, government lunch, where uh, Brian Stevens will be presenting and I'll be moderating panel with uh, AWS and Northrop Grumman and Booz Allen.
0: Oh, that's right. That's right. Um, yeah, everyone should, if you're listening to this podcast with any regularity, that means you are interested in everything that we are going to be talking about at the government lunch. Um, so if you're going to Summit, you should definitely sign up for that lunch. Um, yep. there's, there's no excuse. Um, yeah. Speaking of AWS, Dave. Yes, we're on gov cloud at last.
1: Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Very happy about, that.
0: Very yeah, happy about yeah. that. So do you know, do you know how long uh, that process was too long, too long? It was, uh, from the time we figured it out from the time of the first meeting we had about it, it, uh, was 22 months. Wow. wow. Yeah. Um, hmm. so, uh, so, and what made it complicated is, uh, is in fact, what makes it special, right? So uh, GovCloud is an Amazon uh, EC2 region, um, just like, you know, East or West uh, or any other country-specific regions. Um, but it is meant to be just for government, uh, but it is meant to be for government agencies or people who have requirements similar to government agencies. Um, so the data centers are ensure that all the data stays in the united states um, and to make sure that only u.s citizens or green card holders uh, are going to be able to handle the data Um, and they advertise Mm -hmm. it as an itar compliant environment Um, so itar is the international trade and armaments regulation Um, this is this is the the law that says that you're not allowed to fly to another country with uh tank designs in your pocket mm-hmm. um yep. and so uh and that rule says that you know for this data which is you know for this itar material um it has to be in the united states and it has to be handled by u.s citizens and so that's what this gov environment uh guarantees um so uh, one, one kind of caveat we should have to this is that uh, what, the reason why it took so long is because Red Hat, because of the way our support service works and because of the rules around how ITAR material is supposed to be handled, um, is that we don't actually handle ITAR data. Red Hat just doesn't do that um, like a lot of other companies. Uh, and so uh, we figured out a way together with the Amazon folks um, of being able to offer Red Hat Enterprise Linux inside GovCloud um, without actually getting kind of caught up in all the rules and regulations around ITAR. Uh, so that's what took so long. Um, but, uh, yeah, if you're if you're a government agency um, or if you're in healthcare or financial services or anything like that and you need a kind of U.S.-only Amazon Amazon region, uh, GovCloud is for you. And now you can run nice. rail on it. Yeah, at last.
1: Yeah, yeah. And you got
0: some JBoss news. Yeah, so that, remember... This is a long time ago. We well, maybe it was about a year ago. We acquired uh, Polymeta. Um, yeah, this... almost
1: at the same time we we got uh, Fuse, right?
0: Yeah, yeah, that's right. Yeah, shortly after the uh, and the Polymeta folks have um, the reason why we got them is because they had these uh, these great tools for managing uh, business processes, like like pretty pointing clicking flowchart type tools, um, mm-hmm. and uh, so we finally took all that stuff, uh, rolled it in with our existing um, kind of business process management and the business rules, uh, management systems. Um, and so mm-hmm. we released that. So this is the first release with all that Polymedia goodness baked in, uh, which is very exciting. Uh, and, uh, you know, I, I don't work in this world, um, as much as some of our middleware specialists do, but, uh, by all accounts, this new, the b p m and the b r m s stuff is very exciting um and is a real shot in the arm uh, for that particular line of products um so I'm looking forward to some great things coming out of that
1: yep yeah yeah and then we got some uh openshift news right yeah, this
0: is so cool so uh fuse right which is our e s b uh the, the fuse service works uh platform mm-hmm. um, it's finally available in openshift so dave you can <laughs> The installation for this thing is so crazy easy. Um, I think I, I said on Twitter uh, earlier this week uh, you can literally install and run uh, Fuse ESB uh, with a command that will actually fit inside a tweet. Um, wow. It's like, yeah, like it's 20 characters. Um, you type it in RHC create, da 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 da, and up pops uh, an ESB. And I'm not talking about like some janky managed by the Command line ESB. I'm talking about like full blown, pretty dashboard with all of the telemetry out of the ESB. I mean, it is like an all singing, all dancing uh, service bus. Uh, so it was super mm. cool. It's really neat. Wow. Nice. Nice. Yeah.
1: But but there's more.
0: <laughs> yes, that's right. But wait, there's more. Um, yeah, uh, and this came out of the clear blue sky for a lot of people. Um, but uh, OpenShifts uh, now can run .NET apps. Yes which is crazy town
1: (laughs) yes yeah when i first heard that i was like wait a minute how is this possible
0: yeah yeah so So that's how is that possible well so we we partnered with a, a company called uhuru uh and what those guys did uh was basically take uh everything that we need out of an operating system uh, so this is like the stuff that rail does, right. Which is like confining processes, throttling them, all this other stuff. Uh, they mm-hmm. basically figured out how to do all that stuff on windows. Uh, and then they ported the M collective agent over to windows. Uh, and mm-hmm. so now windows can actually host OpenShift gears. Yes. Um, and so it's not to like the SE Linux level or the C groups level of kind of resource control and, and uh, compartmentalization and stuff like that, uh, but it is perfectly adequate. Um, and so you can actually run, you can have Rel nodes and Windows nodes running side by side inside an OpenShift environment, and somebody can go clickety clickety click and spin up a .NET app and Microsoft SQL Server, and they're off to the races, uh, just as if and it's just as easy as if they had done it for you know whatever Java and Postgres. Um yep. so it's really clever. It's super cool. And that's
1: that's in OpenShift Origin.
0: That's in upstream. Yeah. That's not in online yet. Uh and it's not in the enterprise version yet. Uh although if you are a customer and you're tinkering with the OpenShift uh the enterprise version, I'll talk to your sales rep about this. Uh, because we're always looking for feedback on new features, especially like this one.
1: Yeah. Yeah. So what's what's new in uh, Oracle News?
0: That's right. So if you did not uh if that's not enough announcements uh from the Red Hat product world. Uh we also now have uh an install guide for uh, Oracle 12c on top of RHEL 6. Um, yep. which is great. So and these are we we do these guides. It's not actually so surprising that we have this. It's um we've had these guides since like way back in like RHEL 4, I think. Um, we published these install guides for uh, together with Oracle, uh, but now we've got one for, for 12c on uh, RHEL 6, um, and enough a, f- a whole bunch of customers are running uh, Oracle on RHEL, so that's that's what makes it newsworthy. Uh, so that's great.
1: Well, I, yeah, I remember whenever I first started at Red Hat, um, what seven years ago, and we didn't. This was around RHEL 5, and we didn't have. You know, customers say, "Well, what's the best way to install Oracle on RHEL?" And we didn't have anything really written down or we had like consultants, they had stuff, you know, but that was sort of their secret sauce or their proprietary sort of information. And then we started doing those reference architectures um, and that really uh, documented everything. And and, a lot of our customers really like the uh, reference architectures like, like this one.
0: Oh, yeah. 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 No, that's right. That's right. In fact, I remember there was a guy, he was an independent Oracle consultant and had mm-hmm. this guide that basically everybody used uh, to install and tune Oracle on a Red Hat system. Um, mm-hmm. And we ended up licensing that document uh, so that we could publish it with our own logo on it. Um, yeah. And figured, do you remember that? There. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah.
1: Uh-huh. And, yep. and we've been updating our fork of it ever since,
0: mm-hmm. yeah? Yeah. Oh, so Dave, have you played with Ceph, that storage system? It's like the, I, I think it's still the default on OpenStack, right? Yeah, on the yeah. upstream OpenStack. Um, so there's so there's uh, so there's Ceph, uh, and the company that that works with Ceph is uh, Ink Tank. Um, mm-hmm. So it's very similar to Red Hat Storage or Gluster, the cluster project. Um, they basically they solve a lot of the same problems. Um, and uh, of course, we're very fond of Red Hat Storage, uh, and so uh, we ship Red Hat Storage underneath our OpenStack. Uh, whereas the upstream. I think most, but a lot of people are using Ceph, uh, in the upstream mm-hmm. So Anyway, it's been this like back and forth on like, which one's better and blah, 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 blah. Um, but it looks like we actually have peace in our time. Uh, the, uh, the ink tank folks, um, are now going to support Ceph, uh, with both rev three, three and, uh, our OpenStack platform version four. Mm-hmm. Um, so you remember the, both rev three, three and, and, uh, OSP four, uh, both of those announced, uh, the new cluster release, the new Red Hat storage release, uh actually mm-hmm. supports both of those both of those versions, the Rev and the OpenStack version. Um mm-hmm. and so now basically Ceph is saying, oh, we can also do that as well. Right? Yeah. Um yeah. so it's kinda nice that customers now have a choice of which kind of storage subsystems they want to be able to use. Um yep. so that's so that part's great. Um and uh and it's a nice endorsement of both Rev and OpenStack. You know, Inktank thinks that they can actually make money. Um uh, doing that on those platforms. So it's a nice kind of endorsement of, you know, how popular those things are. Um, uh, we, uh, we rewarded ink tank by publishing a benchmark showing how cluster <laughs> is twice as fast as Ceph. Um, yeah. on, <laughs> just, just <laughs> great, kind of timing. Like, yeah. great timing. Yeah. I'm not even sure if that was coordinated, but they both did come out basically on the same day. I was like, that's, that's a little mean, uh, even yeah. for us, but <laughs> anyway, <laughs> good, good to know though, that, uh, uh, Red Hat Storage is is in fact twice as fast as Ceph under you know uh, under this benchmark. Uh, I think it's only yeah. for like small file I O. Um, yeah. But uh. But yeah. <laughs> so I just thought that was funny. Yeah. So uh, I just had a reminder pop up in my Remember the Milk today, which I and I I got this reminder and I was like, man, I was smart a year ago. Um, but what I did is a year ago uh, I had made some edits to a a blog post that is popular on uh, on the website. And, uh, I put a reminder into myself that in one year's time, go back and look at the content of that blog post and see if it needs to be updated. And I was like, Mm. Oh wow, that was really clever. I I did it for just this one post, but it seems like for, for stuff that like explains a technology or explains a policy or something like that. It, uh, and it doesn't even have to be a blog post. It could be like a document you wrote or something like that. It seems like it, I should just get into the habit of like, putting a reminder into myself to like, in a year's time, go back and read this again and see if you need to do something with it. Um, Yeah. I don't know. Maybe do you do this? Do you already do this? I was just, I was really proud of myself for figuring it out, but I just realized that maybe that's, it's a totally obvious thing to do.
1: Yeah, I don't, but I, I think that's a great idea. And, and so when you, if you were to update it, would it be a new blog post or would you just mod the existing one? And how would people know that it was updated? Or would you do a new blog post saying that, hey, check out this old blog post that I updated?
0: Great question. Um, I think, I think it would probably depend on what the content was and kind of the format of the content. Um, I would think that in, if I was to write a second blog post, you would want to like cross link them both. Right. So take the old article and put a reminder into the top of it saying there's a newer version of it over located here. Um, and in the, on the new side, on the new article, you would say this thing is, uh, this thing used to be located over here. You know what I mean? Um, yes, that's probably how I would do it
1: well I found um, a uh, uh, info visualization thing, I'm, I'm a big fan of info visualization, um, where cities that get the best weather and uh, it was a really beautiful thing, so it's basically a map of the continental United States with little circles on it, and you hover your mouse over the circle and tell you the number of days a year that have quote unquote good weather um, but it was it was a beautiful infographic, but I'm I don't know if I agree with the, uh, the assessment that they came up with. I, I think their data is flawed, or the analysis of their data was flawed. What
0: what uh what makes you say that?
1: So like like some of the uh, best places in the United States were like Austin, um, and and Akron. <laughs> Akron really. <laughs> Yeah, it, it has seven nicer days a year than Austin. That not know that, about that.
0: Well so yeah, no, so Austin, first of all, that's just not true that Austin has nice days sixty days a year. We have like we get two weeks of spring twice a year, and for the rest of the time it's a uh it's a blast furnace. Um yeah. or it's kind of like unpleasantly cold and damp. Um, yeah. <laughs> said Gunner working for the Austin Tourist Board um <laughs> and yeah. akron doesn't and akron doesn't it's not even in my top 50 of uh pleasant climates for cities
1: well when you mouse over the circles it's like you go from one circle to the next so the one circle for akron was 67 but if i move over one more it goes down to 48 so there has to be some sort of rounding error um or lake effect. maybe like effect no, no. This is this is south. So um, south of the lake, it was it was like I, I you go like one cell um, to the to the east, and it goes down to forty eight. Um, but Raleigh came in at fifty eight. Westford was fifty five. Uh, Tyson's Corner was only forty eight. And um, Buffalo, New York, clocked in at seventy three nice
0: days a year. Yeah, which so is that, that's there's no way. <laughs> it, it, yeah, it, this <laughs> is like
1: it, it's pretty, but not very useful. So it's like yeah, I don't know if I trust it. Um, it, it's nice, but I don't know. I, I'd rather talk about Gilligan's Island.
0: Oh, yes. Please, let's, let's do talk about Gilligan's Island.
1: Yeah. So for all the people that enjoyed the, uh, the, uh, you know, when we were talking about Barney Rumble and the Flintstones a little while ago, um, there's a blog post I saw about, uh, 17 facts you might not know about Gilligan's Island. Um, so I'll, I'll put that in the, um, in the show notes, but, um, uh, so I guess the, the producer he designed the characters to represent different parts of society, um, and and that's why like the skipper and the professor were addressed by their titles, and and they actually have names, um, but the producer forbade them from using their names during the show. So huh. so like the skipper's name was uh, Skipper Jonas Grumby, Professor Roy Hinckley. <laughs> yeah, yeah. That's great. So and so so all the names are there, um, but then the the ship. Uh the Minnow. It was named after the Federal Communications uh uh Commission president Newton Minnow. Um and who uh the, that producer he totally loathed. And I guess Minnow gave a famous speech saying that television was a vast wasteland. Um and he advocated for more educational programming. So um so in in homage to that, he uh named um the ship the Minnow after um Newton Minnow.
0: Man, never make enemies with someone who buys videotape by the mile. Canister, um, yeah. Yeah. The- then,
1: <laughs> yeah, so um, Carol O'Connor, uh, also known as Archie Bunker, he tried out for the part of Skipper, but it was reject- rejected. Imagine if Carol O'Connor was the Skipper. I don't know if that would be better or worse. Yeah, and then the other thing is that if you could take the lyrics to Amazing Grace and sing it to the 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 tune of the Gilligan's Island theme song, and it works perfectly. Or you could take the lyrics to Gilligan's Island and sing it to the music of Amazing Grace, and it works out perfectly.
0: Uh, I'm not sure I understand, Dave. Maybe you could give us a demonstration.
1: I put links in the show notes
0: so uh, people can hear <laughs> it. was oh, somebody else singing. It's so. funny. You know, um, I really perked up when you were talking about the, the characters representing different parts of society because uh, I'd always thought of Gilligan's Island actually reminds me of um, Commedia dell'arte. Um, that, uh, that kind of, I guess, renaissance, like early renaissance, uh, theater form, um, in Italy, uh, mm-hmm. where you would have, uh, Harlequin, right. He was the, like the clown. Uh, you'd have like the pretty lady, the crone, uh, the professor. Um, you ever seen, um, photos of, uh, this kind of sinister looking character. He's got this big dark cloak, a big broad brimmed hat, broad brimmed hat, um, and a kind of crazy long pointed bird mask on do you know what i'm talking about bird mask yeah mm-hmm. um so this was that ki- i'm trying to think of an example of where you might have seen something like that but it's this kind of like recurring character and it's very distinctive once you see one you you it's not those plague right. people yeah They're no exactly drivers. yeah no it's exactly oh, right okay. so it's that's the that is the costume of il professore um, in committee okay. dell'arte and the reason why they, you know, why they wore the masks, right. It was because of the plague, because birds never got the plague. And they thought if they dressed up as birds, they could, uh, uh, hide from the plague or whatever. And often the, the nose of the uh, masks was stuffed with, uh, kind of herb remedies, um, that mm-hmm. was supposed to, uh, keep the, keep the plague away. Um, anyway, the, the committee dell'arte has these kind of archetype roles, um, and actually maps pretty cleanly to the archetypes in Gilligan's Island, I just realized. Hmm. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah. yeah, I hope so.
1: Yeah. Well, speaking of masks, um, uh, this we got some feedback from uh, our ambassador to Japan, uh, Adam Clater. Oh, yes. About, uh, <laughs> yeah. Why, why Japanese people wear surgical masks, and it's not always for health reasons.
0: Yeah, I've been wondering about that cuz it is very it's uh it is like a it's a thing and not just in Japan really but like Asia in general there is the the there's a lot of mask wearing um yeah. in the and and a lot of uh posing uh with uh two fingers in the victory symbol uh up close to your face when you're being photographed. There's also a lot of yes. that. Yes.
1: Yes. Yeah. And so one of the so a couple reasons for um why people wear the mask. Um one of them was uh, that one of the ladies was uh, her daughter wears a mask, uh, not for medical reasons, but she puts it on and puts uh, headphones in her ears so people don't bother her, uh, making it harder for people to talk to her.
0: Mm-hmm. That makes sense. That makes sense. That's I want to do you...
1: that on an airplane. <laughs>
0: right. Yeah, that's right. Well, it's like uh, wearing hoodies here, right? Yeah. Or you get, yeah. right, you or, get or the airplane. bird
1: mask. In yeah, the or, yeah, that's right. That's right. <laughs>
0: <laughs> you know, that old side cartoon of like how nature says, uh, stay away. And it's got like a picture of a cat with its hackles raised. Um, got a picture of a, you know, whatever, a lizard in like attack position or something. And then there's a picture of a guy, uh, wearing like one boot and overcoat and he's got a bazooka under his arm, um, with like a <laughs> boot on his head. It's like, yeah, <laughs> it's a, nice. This is how nature tells you to stay away. Bird masks.
1: Yeah. Yeah. So here, here are some other reasons why, uh, people would wear, uh, the surgical masks for non-health reasons. Um, one is for warmth, uh, in lieu of a ski mask. Um, another reason is to save time by not putting on makeup for the ladies mostly. Um, and then, uh, also fashion because they have like floral ones, polka dot ones, um, houndstooth patterns, um, ninja jet black, um, and, you know, for, for the guys. Right. Hmm. Um, and then the last one is for weight loss. Um, so it's infused with, uh, they have ones that are infused with the scent of raspberry, um, which, uh, some people say will boost your metabolism. And I guess if you're wearing a mask, it's harder to eat.
0: See, I would still go with the bird mask, stick a bunch of raspberries in this, in the, in the, in the nose. That's amazing. I, I, I wonder how, I mean, but it has to have started somewhere, right? Um, you don't just kind of like casually decide, um, hey, as a culture, we are going to start, you know, we're going to make wearing surgical masks a norm, right? It has to. Yeah. Like it had to have its origins in something before you get the houndstooth versions and the polka dot versions and the raspberry scented versions. Um, it, it has to have yeah. been like pollution or something, right? SARS. SARS. Yeah. Bird flu. Right. right. Yeah. Right. But
1: bird masks, would that protect you or would that attract them? So if you were a bird mask, that
0: would attract the bird flu, wouldn't it? That's right. That's right. That's why you need uh, vulture masks.
1: Yeah, or a, like a cat mask that'll scare away the bird
0: flu. Yeah, or like owl masks.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah. 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 Good. I'm glad we solved it.
0: Yeah. All right. Good. Uh, what do you say we button this up, Dave?
1: Yeah. Yes. So um, for people that want to learn more about Gilligan's Island and um, see the uh, that one video that uh, I can't even pronounce it. The one with the, the languages with languages sound like the foreigners. Um, we have oh, yeah. Presencoli-
0: that one. Yeah, yeah they mm-hmm. have to see that. They have to see. That. <laughs> All right. It is hilarious. Yes. If people want to learn more about bird masks, um, owl masks, um, Il Professore, Gilligan's Island, uh, DRM, CarPlay, and so forth, uh, they can go to dgshow.org uh, that's uh, D's and Dave, G's and Gunner, show.org. Well,
1: thanks a lot, and thanks, everybody, for listening.
0: Yeah, thanks, everyone. <laughs>